0: Good morning. Our scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew in the 14th chapter, beginning at the 22nd verse. Hear now the word of the Lord. Immediately he made the disciples get into a boat and go ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. So, for a girl who grew up in landlocked Colorado, there is really nothing more terrifying to imagine than being caught in an open boat during a storm at sea. Can you imagine yourself in that boat that it's night and you're huddled together in the darkness and the sound of the wind and the crashing of the waves, it sounds like a train moving all around you. Imagine the roaring of the waves and the rocking of the boat and the water rising around your feet and then your ankles and then your calves. Can you feel it? The fear, the despair, hope, drifting away in the center of a storm there is no escaping how small we are there's no escaping how life itself can seem to have turned against us and we can feel as the disciples must have that all is lost of the storms that have raged in my life so far none has been more difficult to weather than my dad's alcoholism I don't share often about his addiction, and I I want you to know I share today, after only discussing it with my siblings, that it's okay with them. I know it would be okay with my dad, especially if it was helpful to someone else. My hesitancy sharing is in no way a reflection of my love for my father who died at 67 as a direct result of the disease. And it's not shame, I don't feel ashamed. I don't share because it is my perception that when people hear of his addiction, they think they somehow know him, that they understand our relationship, they understand my childhood, and that they reduce him in some ways to his addiction, and he was so much more than an alcoholic. He was, um, for much of my life, my primary parent and in many ways, in the ways that matter most, he was a really wonderful dad. He was loving and supportive and present. He was smart and funny and compassionate and curious. Still, the fact remains that he was an alcoholic. And this truth, it created a storm that impacted our family deeply in and, and ways that we will spend our whole lives unraveling. One of the worst storms in my family's struggle with his addiction occurred in 2005 when he was forced into detox in the hospital and he didn't know who we were. He couldn't recognize us. And my sister and I, we went back to our childhood home to find it just an absolute squalor. And his cat was dying and there was just evidence all around of the depth of his addiction. And I was as scared and as hopeless as I have ever been. My dad was my anchor, and not yet having figured out how to sort of separate his fate from my own, not having been to Al-Anon or therapy, it seemed that all was lost, that there was no riding the boat, that there was no surviving the storm, not for any of us. So I understand fear. I understand storms. I imagine most of us do, of one form or another. The disciples must have been terrified in that little boat, which had drifted so far from land in the darkness, and by the time the storm kicked up, there was little they could do to save themselves. One translation I read said that the waves tortured their little boat. They must have felt that all was lost. And this isn't the only time they find themselves in such dire circumstances. Often when they wander away from Jesus, they find themselves in crisis. Jesus' absence is often tied to peril for his disciples. And as scary as this time at sea must have been, I can imagine it must pale in comparison to the time in the not-too-distant future when they watch the Messiah suffer and die a brutal and a humiliating death. When they know their own lives are at risk, the sheer enormity of the threat against them, it must have been overwhelming. They must have struggled to remain hopeful. And this is not uncommon in Scripture. This struggle to remain hopeful in the storms of a broken world. The parallel Scripture in the lectionary today is from the Book of Genesis, and it tells of Joseph being beaten, stripped of his clothing, thrown into a pit, and sold into slavery by his brothers. By his brothers. By his brothers. Can you imagine? The fear, the perceived absence of God as Joseph was taken, shackled, and alone to a foreign land. Life has a way of tossing us around. Life and loss and pain can be so consuming that there can seem at times to be nothing but the storm around us. Certainly for the disciples in our scripture reading today, this was the case. Indeed, even when Jesus is walking toward them, even when they can see him, they doubt, they think he's a ghost. Just another terrifying reminder of the hopelessness of their situation. So the first thing Jesus does is assure them that it's really him. He says, ego, ami." These are Greek words that are attributed to God when he speaks to Moses from the burning bush. Jesus is saying to his frightened friends, I am is here. I am is here. And his words, the sight of him walking toward them, it's still not enough to override their fear, to assure them that all is not lost, that all is well. The scene is depicted in the Gospels of Mark and John as well, but it's only in this telling in Matthew that Peter asks Jesus to summon him. If it's really you, Peter says, call me to you. And Jesus says, come, And Peter, in the middle of a raging storm, walks on water. Eyes locked with Jesus, he steps out of the boat. He steps toward hope. And then, and then he looks away. The roar of the storm, the depth of the sea below him, it overwhelms him and he starts to sink. Like Peter, we can be overwhelmed by the evidence of the storm all around us, whether it's pain or grief or fear. They can overwhelm our senses. They can linger in our peripheral vision, pull our focus, cause us to cry out in fear that we cannot survive, that we cannot overcome what life has thrown at us. I read a story this week about a group of seven men who'd been gathering After they all became widowed fathers with young children in the home, six of the seven of them had lost their wives to cancer. Cancer is a storm that can consume whole family systems in its enormity. And these men, they were within a year of their loss, and because of this terrible thing they had in common, they got put into a group together, and none of them wanted to be there. And on the first night they gathered, they were all of them just raw and desperate, and the conversation was sort of awkward and painful. They would all rather have been anywhere else. They feared that they couldn't overcome their loss. They had nowhere to fix their gaze. They had no horizon to offer them hope, and you can imagine that for them and for their young children, it must have seemed that all was lost. Every dream, every plan for the future, every hope. But here's the thing. Jesus is always walking toward us. Jesus is always extending his hand, reaching into our pain and our grief. So great is his love and his faithfulness that there is no storm, no storm into which Jesus isn't willing to walk to reach us. We may doubt it, we may sink like Peter, but when we have the eyes to see, when we step out of the boat, when we move toward Jesus, we can weather impossible to weather storms. For me, Jesus walked through the storm of my fear and my grief late one night, one of the first nights we were home after my dad's hospitalization. We had just heard from the doctor that if my dad didn't stop drinking, it was going to kill him and we were cleaning up the house, and I just felt terrible. I felt nauseous, and I was exhausted. And I don't remember whose idea it was that my physical state might be more than my grief, but there, sitting side by side, holding my beautiful sister Amanda's hand, I took a pregnancy test, and I learned that I was pregnant with my son, Sawyer. And for me, it felt like I had been drowning, and that Jesus pulled me up from under the water and kissed my face and whispered to me peace and hope that life would go on, come what may. Of course, this hope doesn't always present itself in the same way, but in the great mystery of how God works, the the great mystery of why X or Y happens, it felt to me, it felt to me, that moment like the peace that can only come from Jesus. Jesus, who is always walking toward us as Lord over the deep, the wind, and the waves, and every last destructive force that threatens to overwhelm us. In Jesus' extended hand, there's a promise of a new exodus, a new entry into a land of promise and hope. There are so many cases in scripture, as I was studying for this Sunday, where water is meant to be representative of the evil powers that resist and oppress the salvation intended for God's people. And repeatedly, repeatedly, God triumphs over the waters. The widowed fathers who gathered in what they eventually simply came to call the group, pretty creative, These men who were initially so reluctant to gather and discuss their feelings, their hope was found in vulnerable, open-hearted conversation. Their hope was found in community, And so they eventually turned to sharing what they'd learned from one another with a a broader audience on the internet, reaching into the homes of recently widowed fathers all over the world. And one such father wrote in response to the information he found on their site, keep doing what you're doing. It's helping a lot of single fathers out just knowing we're not alone. When the original group finally disbanded, the men agreed that they had forged an uncommon bond. And while they wished they had never needed to meet in the first place, of course, they would be forever grateful that they had. Hope in community, hope in service to others, Jesus walking toward them in the form of another grieving father. Jesus will not abandon us, when we need it most, he will extend his arm and lift us up and put us back in the boat. I'm so glad that my dad eventually responded to Jesus' call to come. He stepped out of the boat of this disease that really had him by the throat and into an AA community. And through prayer and a lot of hard work in that community, he had eight years of sobriety before he relapsed. Eight years to know his grandchildren Time to start a law firm that was dedicated to helping those who couldn't afford legal representation. Eight more years of being our dad. And his relapse, I think his relapse is just another example that suffering and struggle persist in one form or another in all of our lives. The ways our healing journey with with Jesus is bound to have seasons of loss and pain. But when I look back at that time after relapse, I also see that God's love was evident in so many ways, in so many, sometimes little ways, often in the form of other people. And with my dad's death, Jesus was there again for me, walking again toward me, in my siblings, in my friends who came and packed up my dad's house, in the warm meals that arrived at my door, and in the compassion of those who would sit with me in my pain. In the face of all being lost, Jesus remains the enemy of all the faces of fear and grief. Horatio Spafford had already lost his fortune in the Chicago Fire in 1871, as well as his four-year-old son to scarlet fever and he thought that maybe his family would benefit from going on a vacation. So he sent his wife and his four daughters on a ship across the Atlantic. And while they were en route, there was a terrible, terrible accident, and all four daughters died. So Horatio boarded his own ship to join his grieving wife in London, and he was passing over the section of the Atlantic that had taken the lives of his daughters And Horatio wrote the hymn, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. How is that possible? How could he have survived that loss? Only through Jesus. In the midst of a season of terrible, terrible grief, Horatio had a profound experience of hope, which is not to say that his sadness did not persist, or what happened wasn't devastating, or that it didn't stay with him every day for the rest of his life. It's only to say that Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us in the worst storms of our lives. And our loving God cannot be kept from walking toward us in the storms that life sends our way. And the storms will come. Of this we can be certain. And when they do, Jesus is bidding us come to step out. After all, faith is is not a possession, it's an activity. Jesus bids us come and we must step out of the boat into AA and Al-Anon into therapy, into deeper vulnerable relationship with those we love, into worship and prayer, into service of others, into community, seeking out those who suffer as we do, stepping out into a new day. On some days, that's just answering Jesus' call to come by getting up and taking a shower and drinking a glass of water and heading outside to be reminded that Jesus will ultimately defeat every storm, that a new day is dawning, that I am is here, that it is well with our souls.